0: Welcome to A pine with Shawnee B, coming to you from the basement of a club in London near Charing Cross. It's called the Library. I unfortunately went to Charing Cross Library to meet my guest, which is a bit fucking stupid. But I'm here today with a, a guy I don't know an awful lot about. Uh, he's been referred to me by a previous guest on the podcast. Uh, he is, by all accounts... A brilliant journalist who has been doing writing since he was in his teens, and he's recently opened uh, his own creative stroke ad agency type thing, which we're going to hear a little bit about. Welcoming to the podcast, Mick Wright. How are you, sir? Hello, I am
1: all right. Yeah, I've been on a three-hour, fifty-minute National Express coach today, so I'm You're sweaty. You're from Yeah, I am. Like your, like one of your previous guests, John Lynch, my yeah. best my best friend of since we were eleven.
0: But, what can you tell me about Norwich that he already didn't... I, I just went straight to Delia Smith and uh, Norwich City for... Alan Partridge is the one that people tend yeah. to go
1: to. When we were growing up there, it was really backward. It's not really like that anymore. Uh, university of East has got a lot bigger. What used to be the old art schools turned into a, a dedicated arts university called the uh, Norwich University of the Arts. So because of that and because of this bigger student population, it's become more arty. They've got like coffee chains that have sprung up that aren't national coffee chains. It's mm. like there's a whole area that used to be complete shithole when we were growing up has now been rebranded as The Lanes and has all these boutiques and stuff. So, yeah, so Norwich... a Brighton, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. It kind of has that Brighton-esque... It's like it's Brighton, but not by the sea. The only trouble with Norfolk, to a certain extent, I mean, the National Writing Centre is just opening up there and some writers of colour have been saying, why have you put it in Norwich, like one of the most <laughs> ethnically homogenous places in the country? And it's kind of true. Norwich is super white because... There was no reason for immigrants to go there because the transport links are bad and there weren't a lot of jobs, which has led to it being a sometimes a kind of ignorant place. It's sort of better than when we were growing up. You lived in Ireland for a bit. I, I lived in Ireland that. for eight years. I, uh, like I loved it. I would move back there in a heartbeat. I feel like some ways Dublin is sort of my adopted hometown. It's better. I just liked it. You know, Dublin people will
0: talk to you. But, well, you know, it's a, it's a great place if you're a writer because it's steeped in all that sort of stuff then yeah. you kind of walk down the banks of the canal and you kind of you know I mean it can be a bit waffly but you know, I've, I've
1: got a good habit of picking up a pub that becomes my local so when I was in Dublin there's in Rathmines there's a pub called the Blackbird and I would just yeah, go yeah, no, there all the yeah. time and had a tab running it was always good it's good to find that particularly when you're writing sometimes good not to be in the office or in your house. Were you, <laughs> uh,
0: were you a, a smart kid when you were growing up were you always interested in English and writing or when did that when did the sort of Writing Bug Take because I know you started very early, right? Oh, yeah, I've
1: been writing, writing for money since I was 16. Yeah, and then is. I really like writing all the time when I was like 11. Very smart kid, yeah, probably. But I, I think it took me till I went to university to realize how being smart has fewer practical uses in the real world <laughs> than you're led to believe. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know, I was the first person in my family to go to university of any kind. What so, was your family background? Um, your family? My mom and dad were both in the Navy, um, oh, and mm-hmm. then they were salesmen people. Did yeah. you have a supportive family Like, yeah my parents yeah. are really supportive there's yeah. no there's no history of writing in my family at all yeah, there's, yeah. there's no history of writing at where all, did you come like, from I don't know man I just like my mom read to me a lot when I was a kid and I think that probably I had an English teacher who was really good and she mm. realised I was writing poems and then she gave me Leonard Cohen's book Bird on a wire and then I kind of I used to finish my English work really quickly and we were sat in class based on how much of a little bollocks you were so I was allowed to sit at the back because was really well behaved kid but right. this sort of went off the boil later on but so she let me write my own stuff when i'd finish my assignments which i would finish really quickly because yeah. it was just sort of found writing came easy i got suspended from school for writing a, a seditious newspaper about the teachers when i was 14 which um funny enough was the thing that stopped me getting bullied really Fourteen, fifteen. 15 stop getting bullied after that
0: because so it's sort of like oh he's not satirical comedy yeah
1: yeah like because what i've been getting picked on so much and i and was only like two or three teachers that were nice like my history teacher and my english teacher but the rest of them kind of didn't really like me and thought i you know i had a bit like i don't have a bad attitude i worked really hard i got good grades but like i'm not good with authority so like i had a biscuit colored duffel coat and you were meant to have a black duffel coat and i was like <laughs> I'm going to wear this because my mum's brought large. me this. Yeah, but like... It, so did your
0: publication
1: only get one issue? It got like three issues and then I got suspended. So it was underground. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. it was like Sam's the, the reason I did it was it was, a, it was a kind of howl of rage at the point that I was picked on constantly. And most of the, t- the teachers did nothing about it. You'd
0: complain and they'd go... You were go. picked on by boys in your class? Or yeah, like,
1: yeah, yeah, boys. And I was friends with girls mainly. And then by the time I was in sixth form... Totally flipped, of course, because like, a lot of girls were my friends. And because of that, the yeah. lads are like, "Oh, yeah, we can fair we play," can argue, you know. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was just like I got picked on because I, I cried easily and I was an emotional kid. I was quite intense, not such an angry person anymore. But a lot of it goes
0: through in the writing and stuff. Was the anger generated by bullying, basically?
1: Yeah, I had a chip on my shoulder because of that, and also just because, I don't
0: think it's uh, unreasonable. Yeah,
1: maybe, but also I like I have a fierce sense of injustice, and also I just.
0: I really, really,
1: really hate authority, (laughs) but I just have a natural dislike for authority. It's funny, my dad went in the Navy, but he was growing up in Taunton in the 70s, there were no jobs, he just thought, right, I'll go in the Navy. He's naturally not disposed to authority, but he kind of got it together because the Navy was the best option, but...
0: What happens in a world with no authority,
1: though? Oh, I'm not saying I don't like any authority, but I like... It's people throw their weight around, you know. Okay. It's jobs worthy yeah, yeah, people. It's, it's people. It's people who are yeah, yeah, unfair. It's, like it's where like the rules are. Bouncers and stuff like. Yeah, that. Yeah, it's where the you know. Like in my early twenties, I got a lot of shooings because people would give me abuse, and I would just be like, "Right, well, I'm gonna fight back," and that was like, "It's not a good thing. It's like not a good move." Yeah. But uh, I've learned to be a bit more cautious about it now. Was there the
0: power of the pen then that you felt you could? sort of escape some of this torment rising oh, in you earlier. I don't know. I think
1: I just like, realised I was just quite good at putting words in straight lines that appeal to people. I've always been interested in journalism about writing about an uppity way of saying speaking truth to power or whatever. I, I'm always interested in the underdog or, or the people who are being trying to speak up for that and, yeah. and I think probably some of the problems with journalism sometimes is that people aren't very good at doing that, particularly in political journalism. It's all a bit chummy like that in music as well now to be honest I found that when I was a music journalist I became a music journalist about 20 years too late but you know
0: (laughs) born too late you got got out of school did you go to college yeah I went to university I went to
1: writing at 16 what was that about just like selling short stories or writing like trying to sell articles and it was not a lot then it was just a bit I just sold my sold my first bit of writing when I was like when I was sixteen, made some money out of that, but it wasn't. There right. was nothing consistent, you know. I worked in bars the whole time I was at university, and, right. and um, did you do English in university? I uh, know I did education studies, so I did um okay. like so education policy. Teacher. There was no history going to university in my family. There was always a thought that I would go, and then my history teacher said, "Oh, well, you could go to Oxford, or Cambridge if you wanted." And he he went to Oxford, and I I went to look at Cambridge because it was nearer, and I ended up going there. Although I had the a very odd entrance like an interview thing because at the end they said why do you want to come to Cambridge I said oh I don't really and they said what do you mean and I said well you know I'm I've been outside and it's, it was all very kind of Hogwarts and even the, the college I went to Homerton is a higher percentage of state school kids and stuff than most colleges but I just thought well you're not gonna let me in so I'm not gonna sort of beg and yeah. then I, I found out years later when I graduated from the um, admissions tutor that that was kind of the question that like pushed me over the edge to come like, because they were like
0: kids kid's interesting first, I, I started working advertising when I was uh, 18 and I was up against people in a, in a course that was mainly post-grads and I was only just out of skills no way mm. I was going to get this and I was going off to Denmark to smoke splits and I said that at the interview and I yeah. also said piss and fuck at the interview because oh, yeah, yeah. I knew I was going to get it and then they rang me so we're going to give it to him and then again a couple of years later the guy Murrah who hired me said it's because you said piss and fuck <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, sometimes they're, just, they're looking for well, something. I was just being myself. Yeah, you know, And yeah. other
0: people, put, you know, you put on your your pitch facade, I suppose, when you're trying to get a job, especially at that age, it's just, you know, it's see-through. And, I, you know, you're nervous. I wasn't nervous because I didn't expect to get it as well and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I ended up not going to... Denmark and not doing any spliffs until I was in my late 40s. <laughs> and, uh, I've never been good with spliffs they just make me sleepy. No I decided not to do any drugs because I, I, I would like them probably too much. I mean, I'm Irish I have the booze gene and mm. I smoke cigarettes and I was starting work really young and a career really young and I just thought you know what There's a, there was a lot of Ecstasy around at the time and stuff like that. And I said I was not going to bother. I, I got made, I, I got turned alive. off
1: pillsing way before I was old enough to do pills because I rem- you remember this thing Leah Betts was this girl in no. England, she's this girl in England who took one e and then just she got died bad. right yeah. and then it was like she was the thing that they said in drugs less in lessons at school all the time and the pictures they like her yeah. parents consented to the pictures being put out of her in hospital and it was so terrifying yeah. that I was just like I'm not but doing it I pills.
0: think my cl- my generation my class got into that as well because it was almost like in Ireland. The drug problem gets to a point where it triggers an ad campaign that's vicious, and whatever kids are most susceptible in that little gap yeah, don't, because there wasn't a lot of drugs around in my so my my friends, but we we knew that there was heroin and all over yeah. Dublin, but we would be scared straight off, it, you know. I I had an uncle who died recently. He was a smackhead as
1: well, and so you know, or at least did a lot of heroin in his time. And my dad had always made a big point about that. But I think my thing with not doing drugs was I somehow realized a I'm very prone to depression. Mm. And this is kind of like this message in the rock that goes down all the one side of my family. It's like, right. a, you know, like Brighton Rock, it just says depression right away <laughs> through. And when you go back, I'm sort of the first person that's kind of accepted it as a thing that's a thing because other people in my family, when you go back through generations, they'll say, oh, well, she used to take to her bed or whatever, yeah, but I like nobody was, gave yeah, it a, yeah.
0: a name. What did we didn't really have a name then. Black dog. Yeah, the black dog. Oh, do you mind talking about your depression, or do you not like to? Or have- I've no. written about it loads. I talk oh, about it.
1: Yeah, I, the best thing I've written about it is a thing that's on Medium about. We talk about it being like a tightrope, and also just this notion of like once you've been in the hole, you're aware that the hole is there. The best approach to mental health that I found for myself is some mindfulness, meditation, stuff like that. I think you should take pills if they work for you. Mm. Definitely, uh, I did never really work for me. Plus, the trouble with being a writer is you need some emotional. Um, difference um so uh, or at least for me it didn't work uh, like uh, it, medication was very dulling yeah yeah, yeah. but i don't know my girlfriend has
0: very serious depression as well and she she's also a believer in talking about the irish approach was have a cup of tea you'll be ground which is the wrong thing but this idea of falling into the whole one of the things we're working on is that once you fall in you do know then that you will come out of it because the earliest parts when you get so freaked out that you won't come out of it mm. knowing that there will be a brighter day in two days time or maybe three or maybe one mm. uh, and how to manage through that time uh, is, is one of the things we're working on and well, I just so get some tips from you on being that. able to speak to other people who've been in that position is good I always
1: quote there's a brilliant bit in the West Wing where Josh has had this post-traumatic stress thing and leo comes to him and, and he's been hiding it and they find out and then leo tells him the story he goes you know man falls in a hole he doesn't know how he's going to get out and a doctor comes along and he goes hey doc i'm in this hole can you help me out the doctor throws a prescription down the lawyer comes along and says well, how much money have you got i'll help you if you tell me yeah. and then finally his friend comes along and the friend jumps in the hole and he goes joe what are you doing why have you jumped in the hole he says oh i've been down here before i know the way out uh, and it's like that's great yeah i think talking to other people finding ways around it is like finding a personal approach to it is important but I, I talk about it like the tightrope because I think for a long time I wasn't aware of the tightrope I was on the tightrope but I wasn't aware of it so when mm-hmm. I fell off I'd be like well, what happened and then when I was back on the tightrope I'd be really excited because I'm moving along really fast and think I am king of the world this yeah. is amazing right and then you fall off the tightrope again and yeah. you think, well, how the fuck that happened I thought I was yeah. doing brilliantly whereas now like once I know the tightrope is there it's like okay well I need to I can't. I can't get rid of it yeah. I just know I'm on it and I need to be aware of it and I need to and allow people around me to be aware of it. People who care about me to say, you seem a bit manic. Right. Which is difficult, because you can get quite edgy with that, or you seem down, like, yeah. people can see those signs. It's quite difficult, because sometimes you're sad. You're not depressed, you're just sad. Something stuff's happened, and you're justifiably yeah. sad. It can be frustrating if people know that you've had depression in the past, because they'll say to you, oh, I think... And then you should, sometimes feel like, well, don't define me by that. So yeah. That can be tricky. My cat died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, or, like... I'm kind of bummed out at the moment because I am skin and like there's a few things that are going to come through that will help out but I'm like skin. I feel down but I don't feel down. I'm not depressed. When I'm depressed you don't feel the worst kind of depression the point that I think pushes people really to the edge in in my opinion is this sense of not feeling anything. Yeah. Like the the absence of feeling is the worst part where you just feel something good happens but
0: you're not Someone someone said to me, close to me, said once that it was like the television set when it's just snow Mm. in her brain. That's exactly. That's exactly right. And she gets up in on herself because she she doesn't feel that's a good enough excuse to be down. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. So I had a very good friend who died when she was 28. My friend
1: Lucy, I've written about her as well. She's incredible person, but she she had done this condition EB, which is if you get hurt, you don't really heal. So she looked. Bruises. well she looked like in her eight like a little old lady in her 80s what by the time of her mid 20s yeah, yeah. partly because she chose to move away from home her brother is still alive and he didn't choose to move away from home so it was easier because the genetic she... he has it too yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah which is uh an interesting choice on a parent's side but they're catholic and yeah. they have another daughter who doesn't have eb but lucy's a really amazing person and always wanted to be a journalist Was a really good writer and Whenever I was in London, I'd go and see her, and we'd hang out, and I'd stay at her house and stuff. And everyone talking to her about depression. So I said, you know, I feel shit about it, Luce, because you, she was in constant pain all the time. She had to crack lollies and all this mm. kind of stuff, euphemistic way of calling them. But you know, so and I just say, well, you know, it seems very self-indulgent of me to say to you, I feel that shit because you are lit. You live in a, in, you know, she's what said to me once that pain for her was like. Like a radio that's being slightly out of tune, the pain was always like that static in the background. Right. But her thing, and it helped me quite a lot, was she was like, Well, you, but you, you, this is a pain that you are suffering. It's not a good thing to look and say, Oh, there are people in the world that have it worse off. No, because mental pain is, you know, fully valid, yeah. yeah. The yeah. tricky part I had was I couldn't write when I've been at my most depressed, haven't been able to write. I define myself by being able to write. So if I can't write, what am I? And I used to say that I went to therapy when I was in Dublin, and I used to say that to the therapist quite a lot. And she would go, "Well, I don't understand. She didn't. She never really understood that. She go, Well, like you're good at other things, something. Like, yeah, but that's what I am. Yeah. So when well, you're not defined by your job, but being a writer is not sort of is a job, and it's not a job. I it, get it. It's a you know, it goes yeah. beyond that. Like stuff I do in this agency it's I've started, that's design. a job. Yeah, yeah. But
0: writing is not. Yeah, my girlfriend's the same thing. I know she's an exceptional writer, but yeah. sometimes she just. Sit there for hours staring, and she can't move. Yeah. And then sometimes she will just go bang, yeah. and piss out the most amazing stuff. in like less than half. But time. that's a
1: bit of the cursey because if if you have got the natural ability to do it easy, when it doesn't come, it's really tough. Yeah. Whereas some people I know who've worked harder at it, that weren't naturals necessarily, but have learned to be good. It's sort of you've got processes. But I never. Planned essays when I was a kid. I just no, wrote them, wrote
0: them yeah, yeah. and then I
1: have to pretend I planned them because yes. the teachers required you to plan. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's
0: so yeah. how, how did you get on in
1: Cambridge? Was your haters? It was good, but I went to I went to a college that was pretty working class. It was about ninety okay. percent women on in my first year. It balanced out for men a bit as a couple of years went on. I didn't mind the posh bits of it. I mean, the first, my first week there, I was in the middle of town and some very posh guy said to me, what school did you go to? And I said, and he went, "He went, oh, no, I meant, like, is that a school? Because he meant, like, Winchester, Eton, yeah, yeah. Harrow, yeah. Stowe, like, you know. He, but, he, he said with marbles rolling around in his nose. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> but no, I didn't mind it. And, like, there's as many nice posh people as there are, like, you know. But, but some of it was difficult from that respect and... You know, I had a girlfriend at one point who could never understand why I didn't want to go out for dinner with them all the time, because I literally don't, I don't have the, the buns to do that, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I need to yeah. go and work, yeah, you know? yeah. but no, I liked it, so journalism-wise, I came out of university, the misnomer about Cambridge, or Oxford, or any of these elite universities, is that, oh, you'll do amazing when you come out, because whatever, it can be true depending on what you're doing, but... For people who do really well in journalism stuff, a lot of them do well because they've got parental money behind them to afford them to go and yeah. do the high-profile yeah. jobs for free. So I couldn't do that. I didn't have any money. So I went and worked for Pensions World magazine, which is based down in Croydon, because they offered me a proper wage so I could afford to rent somewhere and stuff. But pretty quickly, I was there for 14 months, learnt my craft, learnt how to do editing marks and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff that nobody does anymore anyway. But mm-hmm. back then... And then a job came up on Stuff Magazine. It was 2007. The new iPhones was launching. Tech journalism was on a upswing. I applied for that job. I said, I sent the most cocky letter possible. It's like, really, if you don't hire me, you're making a massive mistake. They were like, who's this prick? Asked me for an interview. It went well. I worked there. And then after that, a job came up at Q. I'd always wanted to be a music journalist. I was the kind of guy who bought old copies of Music papers from secondhand shops. So I bought all that shit, and then I went and worked at Q, and I was there nine, ten months because it was a magazine in it's not crisis. I mean, it had Paul Rees had been edited there for a long time, so it was kind of a stale. it was kind of stale. They were in the middle of a redesign. I was brought in as the like youngest front section editor they'd ever had at that point first thing that happened on the first day was basically made clear to me that one of the other section editors thought I was complete. What the fuck was I even doing there? And I later found what out. What age were you? Right. I was 23, but the thing is, other people who'd come in to interview for the job had come in with this ex- a lot more experience in the music press, but kind of Arrogant about it, whereas I came in with like a flat plan, which I know people listening don't know what that is. Basically, you plan out every page of the magazine. You do little squares, and yeah, I don't know why I'm drawing it. Like they can see. But anyway, I done that. I flat planned out a section with like these are the new features and all that kind of stuff. So I came and the publisher just went, "This guy's young. Look, he's fucking hungry for it." So they let me, but I did all right there, but it was depressing. It Mm. really depressed me. I was living in this flat in Hackney with this colombian music producer and his girlfriend who i liked but it was kind of crazy and i was just in this room with damp and then i would just like schlep <laughs> into the office get treated like crap schlep home again yeah. and it was worse because i always wanted to be a music journalist and it turned out like
0: Holy oh shit. guess what it's
1: kind of it was okay like getting free records
0: meet Pop, right yeah
1: well i met a lot of good people i met oh, yeah. tom jones i met like yeah who's the best you interviewed I didn't, I didn't get to interview many people because I was the editor, editor right. of the section. But, like, the Q Awards is amazing. Like, they go to a little pub afterwards, and, like, everyone's in there. McCartney could be there, yeah. or, like, members of the Stones. Yeah. So it's crazy. Like some of that was great. I really like the comedian, Josie Long, and I managed to get her to present an award at the Q Awards and stuff. So yeah. the, it was good stuff. Met some rappers I like. It was good, but it wasn't good enough to make it. I mean, I mean
0: interesting the amount of people who do that every fucking day for 30, 40 years yeah Ugh. you know and yeah you know, so I had, bounced out like I'm months. skinned now you know but you're also not prepared to put up with doing someone someone said on my podcast I've referenced references a couple of times we only have 30 summers left not you me yeah. I'm, I'm 50 in July Yeah. 30 summers left we only think about this when we're 15 and the last five are usually shit right so I just actually just chucked advertising when I was 47 when I heard yeah. this and I just went fuck it now I'm not quite skint yet because I had a few bobs saved because I wanted yeah, yeah. to do this but I don't know what I'm going to do. I've written books on and maybe that might come something might come with that but it's much more uh
1: yeah I was young then it was real day. like I could have held on but it was just making me sad and then yeah. I just went freelance and that was kind of good. I got into Wired and wrote a couple of big features for them which was great. But in the inter- in the gap between that so I I, I left Q I went freelance and then stuff said oh can you come back and be assistant editor on the website because uh it's just shit we need help right so i came back and in the interim i'd committed to doing something for for wired and so i I, i'd done some stuff for wired but it hadn't been published yet now some someone who didn't particularly like me in in the publishing company Told the senior people there that I had done stuff for Wired, that Stuff considered their competitor, which was a laugh, right? Because yeah, and so what? Yeah. So yeah, I what? But I'd come back into Stuff yeah. to to work, so I was on a permanent job there. And so my team and stuff liked me, and then one day they had been going through my email secretly and were like, "Oh, um, you did work for a competitor, so we're suspending you on full pay, right?" So I um, I just uh, thought, they and I I was marched out of the building, right. For this, so I just went, okay, fuck this, and just resigned. I was <laughs> like resigned, and then I was freelance. You have
0: stuck around in full pay see what. And I then I was, I was, re- yeah, but that's, yeah, but that's the
1: thing. I, but I call my, I've, I've said to people, my career in my twenties was, I call it the burning bridges tour. If there was a point of principle and I had a full can of petrol and a match, I just. i not
0: like, Fuck this. See saying. you later. I got kicked out of nine out of eleven of my last ad jobs, mm. and. Not once was I kicked out by a client. Mm. I was kicked out because I was difficult and I was saying this is not the way to do things and I was fighting against the sorrows. And you know, my parents said, don't burn your bridges, fuck that. Like burn your bridges if they need to be burned. Maybe maybe they light away, you know, for somebody else. some so that's one
1: point. What I I found interesting as well though is that I've got back into some places just by being, like, like editor said to me recently, like one of my current editors said to me recently, they never have to edit my coffee and it arrives on time and to length, right? Mm. So if you're good, you can sort of get away with stuff. If you're mediocre, you mm. can't. Mm. On the other hand, I try to avoid
0: having so many bust stops now because I'd like a quieter life. Well, I've gone to the point where <laughs> I, I, I just realised actually what we were making is so irrelevant to yeah. life that there's absolutely no point. And it's getting worse and worse. So like, you, you don't see... Most people think advertising is fucking in and whatever creative business it they're from and it is but you don't see at least when when you were growing up and when I was growing up there were campaigns out there you go fuck that is really good even if you weren't in the ad business you go, that's really good and now it's just it's it's getting worse and worse and worse now maybe there'll be a relationship. we don't
1: see those classic vol- like that classic Volkswagen campaign or anything like that Levi's 501 yeah. all that kind of stuff or the Audi Volkswagen. there's now and then there's some there's Once some ones but like rare the other reality is I think and you would know more than me about this but I think a lot of clever clever ads don't work that well anyway our creative agency is really new and it's basically it's me yeah, well, sort of and my apprentice back right? to the journalism. but yeah. the thing I'm finding I, the the reason that I tend to, we're doing okay with it we're just starting to do okay is that I just go in and I don't try and sell people on something I, I try and sell them something that will work for them like we're not an ad agency we mainly do some social stuff we do come up with broader so it's campaign a means ideas agency, yes, right? yeah so t-
0: just talk, t- talk a bit about I what se- a, se- vision is. Well,
1: seizing the means of production so uh i got i got fed up with getting bounced out of like doing good work for places and either not getting the credit or um just getting bounced out of other places so thought i'll create my own kind of bucket for doing things mm-hmm. so it is a creative company in the sense that i have a novel coming out later in the year of my own i'm still doing creative work of my own we manage a guy called The Secret DJ who, who has a book out with Favour and Favour. So, you know, our projects are kind of wide. We're working with a charity called The Walnut Tree in, in Norfolk that works with veterans. Nerd Agency is a games developer that we're working with. So it's like a mm. broad sense of things, but don't do ads. Just come up with creative solutions for stuff. Yeah. It's like, okay, what... Sometimes just write blog posts for people. Ghost write things. Mm. Ghost for politicians and comedians, mm. all sorts of stuff. I get sent proposals that people I know have been sent by other agencies and they're like 50 pages and they're like all this guff, right? My, I've never written a proposal that's more than four pages. And yeah. I just go, here's your problem. Yeah. Here's like three ways we could solve it. it here's should. how much it would cost. Yeah, yeah. Do you want that? And it's this thing with ads. I just look at ads. And so, and, uh, do you know who, who does brilliant ads? It's like Aldi does brilliant ads. Mm-hmm. That thing of like, I like these ones, but I also like these.
0: Yeah. That's brilliant. Like most people in advertising go, oh, well, yeah. Like, no, I mean the, the problem is as a school of thought in advertising the more you complicate things, the more money you can charge a client. Yeah. The more pages you have, the more money you can charge yeah. your client. And the more like your competitors you make your clients' advertising, the less fired you're gonna ever be. Mm. Whereas the answer actually for all those three things should be the opposite. No. You know, you should be making braver work that doesn't look like your competitors that stands out from your competitors might not always work. You need to be Producing your stuff quickly and not taking huge amounts of time and pages to do it, yeah. and so yeah, I mean the the ad industry is probably at its lowest ebb that, it, that it's ever been right now because actually what's gone is all of the few and far between people who had genuine ability to make magic, and, right there. You know, and there and there were there were those people and they're just you not know, they're just dying.
1: There. There's one image, and it had been around years, obviously, because it was from the original punk era, but you know that cover of sniffing glue right it's mark perry's fanzine he made before he was in alternative tv and it it's this is cover of sniffing glue magazine and it says here are three chords in our former band right mm. so when i think about a lot of industries like the music industry then was over itself both as an industry but also in music like prog is like advertising now is like prog fucking keyboard solos everywhere and it's the same thing in journalism it's just like oh we have a certain way of doing things so we do it this way I keep trying to think of like okay, let's take it back. I've got three chords. I've got three colours. What can I do with three colours? What can I like? What is the what is the basic units of stuff that I can do to make this? I think we're in the greatest like one of the greatest times ever for creating art because frankly, if you want to be a musician now, you can do it. People don't like it because you can't be. Yeah, 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 you can't be a giant rock star necessarily as easy now. But you could be a working musician who makes good money now if you create good things and put it on the internet. Same thing with journalism. I don't think journalism is dead. I just think it's, it's not sustainable in massive offices anymore.
0: I mean, we used to do the same with advertising in Ireland, particularly because there's, you know, there were huge budgets to do television. But I say, don't rule out television. Just lock off the camera. Yeah. You know, have a camera in a fucking room and lock it off. and don't, You can't move the camera. But you can still put an ad in there. Like That's that sometimes that, those little restraints suddenly opens up a medium to You just to have somebody. a frame and you can have yes. things come in and out of exactly. that frame. Like and somebody, And it opens a medium up to maybe a small advertiser that wouldn't normally be able to think of even television because mm. everyone automatically goes, "to it. it's going to be 150 grand to make it. And today we can make TV commercials with the two phones that are sitting on this desk. Yeah.
1: The trouble is, it, the entrenched interests in these things make it really difficult. It's the same, I am just talking briefly before we started recording and it was like, I'm like just thinking about... This is complete sort of tangent, but it sort of makes sense. It's like, I think a lot about the lobby system of, of political journalism in the UK, which is like, you know, a certain, there are lobby journalists who are, are accredited... Describe right what they are, lobby journalists. So, are. yeah, they're accredited from, from publications, and they the lobby journalists get the daily briefings from the prime minister's official spokesman and they are they have offices in Westminster and they're it's very very cosy cosy right they're meant to behave a certain
0: way yeah but
1: it's you know and they get access and a lot of a lot of journalism is about access whether it's music journalism sports journalism is really bad for that now John Motson was just on Desert Island Disc and it was really interesting he was talking about the interviews he did with like Brian Clough Brian for instance Lundling. he could get a Brian Clough yeah. right and, bro- and, and it was quite back and forth yeah. now watch most football interviews and they'll go Jose brilliantly played today
0: well, because we are very, very good players. We play well. We, and my team does quite good. Yeah, you, 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 you know, I you're not going to... If fight s- hard, yeah. they don't fight hard, we, we win. You, you're what not going to
1: say... You're not going to say... Well, Jose, you said this the other day, right? Mm-hmm. And that was horseshit. What have you got to say about that? Because yes. if you do... You know,
0: Curiously, Jose is the one guy that might actually. Decide.
1: Yeah, but ma- but but if you off. did that, there's a there's like 50 Man United press officers yeah. will go. Well, you're fucking out me. Yeah. See you later. They'll tell your organisation yeah. we don't want to see that reporter again. Yeah. And if you're any newspaper, so you can't that. afford it, not it, it, to work not with Man United it's
0: public relations.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fact, you know, basically, people use that all world quote a lot. They say you know journalism is printing things. But people in power don't want want to see everything else
0: is public relations. Mm. So it's, it's kind of true, but. So where do you, so yeah. like stray into this? We're we're organically straying into all the bounced all yeah, around, but yeah, yeah. But like, the, so the political journalists feel it. Like we started. There are still some brilliant about, ones, by the way. Yeah, totally, but... We started talking about this, and you know, the the health of newspapers. I remember when I was living in New York, somebody said to me, "Well, you know, if if ever because I was there at the real fucking decline, I and mean, I think it's sort <laughs> of flatlined a little bit now to the extent where it's not hemorrhaging anymore in a lot of newspapers. Well, so Trump's been world, quite good for that. For that. Yes, it is, especially for the New York Times. The failing new york times yeah but someone said to me like you know that if if anything happened with the new york Times, there'd be a thousand mainly jewish people who would just go this paper will not die we will we will put money into it Yeah, you know, people like Bloomberg and whatnot will we'll make it happen yeah and it will not die and i still see you know i had a funny incident where my, my friend from sarajevo i'm a godfather to his son and he mm. just his dad reads the irish times on an ipad yeah every day and when he came to ireland He saw the Irish Times newspaper. He went, What's that? Mm He's only ten. Like, yeah. What the hell is that? Right? And he just couldn't. Why would they print this yeah. this Is gone tomorrow? You know, yeah. the whole concept of a newspaper was. It's 80%. like that joke
1: about so, so, like a kid seeing a floppy
0: disk and going, yeah. "Why is someone three D printed the save button?" You know, it's like exactly, what? exactly. <laughs> like, so, so, give me your kind of top line on where, either well, journalism. Sorry, big question for
1: you. Well, look, I don't think it's going anywhere. I think new business models are are forming. Reader supported is a good thing if you can get people to do that. Like The notion is, oh, you'll never get people to pay. And I don't think that's true. No. Oddly enough, there's a generation growing up who've been used to watching YouTubers for free, but paying for things that those YouTubers do. So the present and future journalism is about making things that people see see value in and getting enough of those people to pay for it to balance out all the other people who don't pay for it. And the other thing I think is smaller organisations working together. The Guardian has broken a lot of stuff around Cambridge Analytica and around... Aaron Banks, the UKIP funder and and Vote Leave funder and stuff like this. But they've also been working with some smaller outfits, investigative outfits, like the investigative journalists being backed. Like, there are ways of doing it, and we've still got to push further. If micropayments could be made to work in an effective way, that would be really good. Perhaps we should be looking at the license fee, the way the license fee works, and saying, okay, let's... Have a way where this money is distributed, and you can tap into public sources of public money through independent boards or whatever that yeah. fund this stuff. Yeah. There's a load of different ways to do it. I don't think it's going to die, but it's going to look different. But people will always want to tell stories. There will always be need for journalists. It's just same thing as the music industry. You can't now think I am going to get paid tons and tons of money and get to sit in a big office and have a big desk. Mm. Like, the people who are really upset about the changes in journalism are the big desk people mm. who really like live being in big glass offices. And we just can't... Yeah. That's not really sustainable anymore. If The Guardian hadn't wasted so much money on printing presses which were a folly and a building that they didn't need, they would be financially a lot Probably. better off. Because yeah. they sold Auto Trader and had millions and millions and millions of pounds and they pissed it away on stupid things.
0: I mean, I could see a time when... The newspaper will print one paper a week on a yeah a lot of places have done that and then you you just move people like you know the irish times is a very very good newspaper you probably read it when you were over there yeah I do, yeah, um, I did yeah and you know you it has that. its flaws but it well i mean politically you know opinion wise sometimes it's a bit right wing but you know but it is it has got some great journalists in there but if they had suddenly said okay we're gonna have monday and Thursday is going to be online only hmm. and then that will be Wednesday and then you know before you know it there's just a but then really focus on that end of week if you made it time. a lot
1: if you made it a luxury product and you made it it can't be about news it has to be about analysis
0: I'm not talking about like opinion you know, opinion's great. Yeah. opinion is great
1: opinions opinion is fun yeah and you need opinion because opinion opinion is your fireworks and you need mm-hmm. some fireworks but yeah, if you did that, it would work very well. I have a question for you. This is taking us on a slightly different tangent, but you were talking again before we started about the fact that you lived out of Ireland for a long time. How do you... years. So I was... I started... I lived in Ireland on and off from 2010 to 2017, roughly. So I was around for the... For marriage ref. Very ref, right? Yeah, and yeah. then now... Abortion. The, uh, repeal the aid, yeah. Like... Does it feel very different to you? Because it feels to me like it's a country shaking off the dust.
0: Yeah, we're a country that is trying our very best to de-guilt ourselves Mm. of the guilt that's Pumped into us from when we were kids.
1: It does feel like whenever the dark well seems like it's been drained, there's more to be found. There is. Like now you've got there the adoption is.
0: thing, there like there it's is. like there is. There cervical, the depths there of it. You know. thing that happened just after it as well. It is a patriarchal society that built from the foundation of the state in 922. It was all about, you know, not, not just here, we, we copy mm-hmm. Britain mainly this really awful treatment of women going back and it's it's religion there was really awful treatment of little boys by the priest. Yeah. there was really awful treatment of- well, my,
1: my, well my, my ex-mother-in-law told a story to me once about like a priest coming she thought he was coming up to the window of her car to ask her for directions and he just said some really disgusting sexual stuff to her and it's yes. like my god you know like you're in the priest's garb like what are you doing you know and it, the thing that I found really really interesting and it, and it's fed into this thing of seeing how ignorant the British press is around the Irish border question oh, all yes, these things it, absolutely. is that when I like when I was a kid like I loved Father Ted right just loved it because it was on telly and it was funny and it like yeah, Dougal was yeah. funny or whatever but then when I moved to Ireland and after living there for two or three years it was like suddenly like I'd like Roddy Doyle and I'd read Ulysses at university but then mm. I Spent a lot of time on the north side, right? Suddenly read Ulysses again and went, oh, this clicks in, it makes sense. So right. you stand in those markets on the north side. I can't get my head into yeah, you. But if, yeah. if you stand in those markets on the north yeah, side, yeah. right? Listen to people that north, like, back and forth. And suddenly, I was like, oh, I'll get the rhythm of this now. Yeah, yeah. Father Ted suddenly made sense to me in ways it didn't yeah. before. I didn't know, for instance, about the Rosa of till I lived in Ireland, <laughs> right? And I wrote a thing for the Telegraph, okay. because I got obsessed with it, though, because yeah. I thought it was the most ridiculous thing. Like, on a positive side the Late Late Toy Show is like my favourite thing and I will pay for RTE player every Christmas now just so I can watch the Late Late Toy Show because I think it's like right. the most wonderful Christmas thing. But everyone in Ireland knows everything about England, right? Because you get yeah. from telly, right? Yeah. Everybody knows yeah. what English people True. are. Like. English people, particularly English people, I keep the Scots and the Welsh out of this because they sort of Come from a sort of shared Celtic existence. Is the English people I mean, fuck all about Ireland? Yeah. And basically, English people assume that Irish people are just English people with funny accents, yeah. right? The layers of slang, the kind of something like the rubber bandits can only exist yeah. from Ireland yeah. because it's like this kind of radical punch back against a, a repressive culture.
0: Yeah. Like, That's you the know. reason, though. I mean, the, the the reason is that so many picked up the gun to fight Britain, England. And, and many picked up the pen. So, you know, yeah. what I see is you don't see the same calibre or quality or depth, strength and depth of writers in Scotland. And we are very like the Scots. You know, they have Robbie Burns and Billy Connolly and a few others. Irvin I mean, Welsh. there's lots more. But yeah. I mean, in the World Cup of Writing, we will knock Scotland out in the first or round. Well, in the round. World Cup of Culture,
1: Ireland Punch is so yeah. beyond its yeah. weight. In, it's, inc- so it's insane. But so much of it was
0: against, was using playwriting, using poetry, using comedy, using music. To foment culture against a common enemy against Britain, getting it out. You know the irony and, of this whole fucking yeah, thing is we might get it out Ireland. We're, we're almost like going, no, we can't get it this way. We can't, get, you know, by some European. Mm-hmm. Thing. Yeah, you can have it. I mean, no, we've been fighting for this. We need the British to be walking down a gang over yeah. over. You know, it's and u- it could happen. I mean, it's utterly it will, bizarre. It's, it's so. utterly
1: bizarre. To, but I got so angry at a lot of the reporting, even from normally decent reporters mm. uh, around repeal the Eighth. When you read the reporting here, it was so fiddly diddly dee, look at yeah, the Irish the type Irish. thing. Yeah, and it was like, just, but by the way, that's fair. Yeah, in, a way, what you know, in a way, but it was kind of, it's just badly written yeah. because fundamentally there are British political reporters who honestly don't understand. And have never bothered to look into where do Foyle and Finnegale come yeah. from? Like, what is like? Go back to the no, no. Civil War or yeah, whatever. No, no, do the roots. Like, I understand that no, no, the, Irish. Should
0: they, merged. Should have merged. they should have merged years it, ago. Honestly, view, you know. Well, they
1: should. But, but the, this notion of like Irish politics as a kind of analog to ours, because mm. what was easy to do around when Bertie was around was you look him and Brian Cowan and go, well, Bertie's the Blair and Cowan's the yeah. the Brown and. You can't do that because it
0: doesn't work Well, like I have a theory that the British, when I was growing up, the British parliamentary parties of the 80s, Thatcher governments, that they were very formidable, very smart people. They were kind of dangerous. They were like, judge, like Norman Tebbit, Judge Dredd, all these kind of things. Yeah. And they were also a bit fucking sleazy because they were always getting caught with their pants down, getting whipped by prostitutes. It was all very weird. Ours were all stupid failed businessmen with the comb-overs and the bacon face who did nothing. Our new politicians that are coming out, I'm really, I get goosebumps by because it's not just Varadkar, it's in his kind of, not just in Fina Gale, Josieva Madigan, even even Sinn Féin is starting to look like it could fucking do something in government with with Mary Lou McDonald. But we've now got a confidence in our politics and in our politicians. I look at England. I'm going, what the fuck is going on? sure. Dog I have dog. a huge Isn't problem it? with Veracca
1: though, because that was another one in the reporting that did my head in a bit. Because mm-hmm. you go, oh, Ireland's first gay T-shirt. Yeah. Great step in many ways. The guy had just spent the past couple of years doing horrible things yeah, to right, benefit right, claimants. Right. He's not. He's no. He, no, but so He's happening? not a good man yourself, Leo. You no, know, but you what's, know? Ha- what's
0: happening with him is is he's he was minister for health. He's now T-shirt. And he's got to listen to the, to the, 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 what my joke was, he said, I was away. I was away, I left in 96. When I come back in 2016, late, the same five problems that were problems, major social need for education reform, need for health reform, people waiting on trolleys, 10,000 people homeless, inaction from government Mm -hmm. or any action they do, they fuck it up and it costs the country even triple what they do, they're all in play today. And Mm -hmm. this. Guy is starting to change. He's, I mean, he's a very right wing kind of, doesn't do poor people very well, in, you know, doesn't look after the social side of things. He's and no he's, man of the pe- he's no man of the people. He's working that. He's yeah. working that. But we're all kind of a proud of him because he's doing uh, he's doing okay. He's he's he's, he's boxable. But he, he's also young. And yeah. and, he, and yes he is gay, and yes he is a mic, anything can come after him.
1: That's a great thing. It is a brief I would love to be an Irish citizen, I was in I was in Ireland long enough that I could have done it. I might mm. go back and do it again because um, I love I love a republic, I, and I think the recent run of presidents have been excellent. Michael D is a is a yeah. it's an excellent president mm-hmm. because he he's in tech. Like he's going to run for another four years now, so he's getting quite old, but he's going to do it. I
0: hope he does. He's, he's, right. he's, like,
1: he's like a giant. He's like a giant it's like owl. He's like a little ball. owl. Mm-hmm. I,
0: like, I like him a lot. I'm, He's but, good on culture. He's a poet himself, you know. And he's
1: just, hes an intelligent man. Yeah. He can speak. He represents the country well. Yeah. The mayor,
0: sure, the Mary's did as well. But this is the this is the difference between what we—you know—we don't labour this, but you, when you're talking about, British journalism. You were living there. I don't—I don't know. I certainly don't. I'm sure there are some, but there may not be on-the-ground journalists working in Ireland for Britain. There's a few...
1: A lot of them come from the north. Like, there's a, a guy, Jason Walsh, who I like a lot, but he, he grew up in the north, lived in Dublin quite a long time. He, he's great. Mm. But then, of course, he grew up in the north, so he happy, To be honest, if he, if I was running a paper and I wanted a, a correspondent, I, I'd get someone from the north to be reported. Like, because mm. someone from the north will get you, will understand the north view, and they can understand the republic yeah, view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, to look at the republic and not get that it's a, it's this... inch. And also, like, the thing I didn't get... Like, there's so many things I didn't get till I lived in Ireland, but, like the differences between the counties and the way people think of themselves as a mayor man or like yeah, what yeah. that's it's it's, it's language accent. yeah one of the most beautiful things i thought was it was all island final day and just watching all the, the fans from two different te- teams and then not needing to be policing to no, keep them no, separate no. it's a good day yeah. people are gonna get have the crack talk mm. shit at each other but yeah. there's not vi- there's no, not no, violence in it ever. you yeah, know
0: but where do you stand on Brexit uh it,
1: it's a crucially terrible idea, I think that Do you think it's going to happen? I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's going to cause a lot of trouble. It's insane to me how bad the Remain campaign was. They shouldn't have lost. There clearly was shenanigans going on on the Leave side, which is horrendous. I knew it was going to happen because I grew up in a non-London part of the country and had spent my time and, and was watching from outside the country. I flew over to vote to stay in yeah. but I had grown up outside outside London and I knew it was going to happen and the political journalists who didn't know it was going to happen hadn't spent enough time yeah. they, of course they went out and talk in places but yeah. they do not talk enough and yeah, yeah, yeah. they kind of it, it's you, a mess mm-hmm.
0: like where you have your 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 new business? Where do you see your and you have a novel? Did you say? Yeah, yeah. We'll link. We'll put some links to some yeah, of your correct. writing. A Novel's
1: bit. coming out when I I need to make a video to. It's coming out with Unbound, and I need to make a video to tell people to pre-order it, and I haven't made the video yet. What's and then it it'll come up. It's about an artist who is painting an actress that he first painted when he was still at art school. So she's in her fifties; he's in his thirties there's a spark between them, but can that work? Because she's had, the, she's very famous. She's like Liz Taylor famous. Right. And she's had these two husbands who were, you know, and and she's kind of, she's not going to have a kid with him. So like, how's that going to work? And it's about their families. It's about secrets. And I don't know. I was told by one publisher, it's a great book, Mick, but only gays and women will read it. And I thought, well, I wrote it and I'm neither a woman nor gay. Yeah. Like, not that that would matter, but yeah. like, it's,
0: it's also a huge audience. About What's
1: that. the name it's of the like, book? Um, it's called The Pleasure of Sinking. Okay, well, so,
0: we, yeah. we, we may even sink this with, uh, the, with, with the launch of that Who knows? What yeah. What do you say to your younger self uh, if you go back, you know, if you had to say something to your younger self, given what you've endured now um, in your life?
1: I would like to say to my younger self: the lows that you have are a thing, and they're something that you can address, and you should address it earlier, because I think it's very confusing when you're in your in your late teens, early twenties, and you you are emotionally up and down as much as I was. That would be it. I mean, job wise, people say, "Oh, you know, go back and say, don't burn your bridges." I, I do the same. I do exactly. because I I felt morally. Fired up about those things, and I also younger me would tell me to fuck off
0: anyway. <laughs> so it's like, younger you would burn a bridge to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think
1: younger me would listen. I'm much better at taking advice now. I think what, on my th- my thirtieth birthday, I was sitting day after that, I was sitting with a hangover, and I just thought to myself, God, all the things I don't know. There are so many things I don't know, and that was the transition point between my twenties and thirties because I went it was so freeing as a thought mm. and since then I've been way better at asking for advice and help and just thinking and, and when I don't know something, I'm just going I don't know yeah. I've got clue and it was so much better in my you 20s I was like I, I know everything I am the king of everything
0: and it was like oh, no, fuck all you know yeah. trust me you'll continue to mellow I'm about to look 50 it was great talking to you keep riding in. keep blowing up bridges and real pleasure man thank
1: you so much okay, cheers